Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Previously on Murder on the Space Coast, where is Brandy Hall? Need some peace now. and Yes. Just somebody tell me where my daughter's at. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Go screaming or what do I need to do? It's like, where is my daughter? Where are you, Brandy? Where are you? Dear God, where are you? (laughs) So, you know, I would pray that we do find her. But whether we will or not, I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm not going to quit. I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and welcome back to Murder on the Space Coast, Where is Brandy Hall? Most people in Brevard County have, at one time or another, I think, heard the name Brandy Hall. Whenever we write about her, the stories get a lot of page views online. People are fascinated by Brandy's mysterious disappearance. And sometimes we'll see an old Brandy Hall story start to get a lot of online clicks. And it can feel like a ghost appearing. Like all of a sudden people out there started Googling her. And we'll make a call to the cops just in case there's something new that we've missed. So yeah, most people around here know the name. But I doubt many have heard the name Sid Ledow. He's the retired Palm Bay detective who vows to continue working the case of the missing firefighter until the sun goes down on his life and his ashes are joined with his wife's. Along with another retired detective by the name of Doc Jones, Sid has interviewed more than 65 people, checked evidence, watched recorded interviews with suspects being questioned, asked others to take polygraph tests, spoken with the FBI and other cold case groups, hung signs all over town, was present when a police mini-helicopter buzzed pretty low over a suspect's home and even wrote about the psychics who trudged through the woods working their intuition as to Brandy's whereabouts. He's called and cold-called anyone who might have known Brandy for any tidbit of information. Sid has even followed up on a lead that was based on a woman's dream about where Brandy might be. This has become his life's mission. You could call it an obsession. Like I said, he's had some help. I spoke with his partner in all this, retired Detective Doc Jones, and like Sid, he feels the question of where is Brandy Hall will eventually be answered. I would have felt much better if Sid and I could have put this thing to bed, but I ain't sure that it's sleepy yet, okay? They ain't ready to go to bed because there's just... There's too much not known about it. Only old gumshoes like Doc Jones can talk like that without it sounding corny. I love that. The case just ain't sleepy enough yet to be put to bed. I asked Doc why he got involved. What was it initially that intrigued you about it? I don't know. I, I, 
how can I answer that? You, uh, you hear about a potential story and you say, I think I'd like to look at that and maybe write something on it. Why do you do that? Right. Uh, it's, it's just built in, okay? And so I <laughs> said, and I looked at it. Neither Sid nor Doc ever got to meet Brandy Hall. Neither did I. They did all they could to learn just who this woman was. I decided that I needed to do the same. We learned that Brandy Hall disappeared on a muggy August night more than 11 years ago. The Palm Bay police have declared her disappearance a homicide, but they have no body. No remains have ever been found. There has been no crack in the case. No answer to the question, where is Brandy Hall? Her family are desperate for answers and want to know what happened to Brandy. Even after 11 years, the angst and anguish are evident in Brandy's mother's voice. It was, I'll admit, a tough interview to do. Very emotional. I'm so sorry to put you through this. No, it's okay. I've been through it a whole lot. You don't bother me. I cry all the time anyway. It doesn't matter. You're not, you're not, you're all right. Just somebody knows something and it's like whoever... It's time. God's got to be letting it be time. It's like, I know, what is she going through? You know, I know she's out there somewhere. What is she going through? Everybody thinks about what we're going through. It's like, what is she going through? Somebody out there, and maybe even more than one person, knows something. Well, as I said earlier, to best decode the mystery of what happened to Brandy, I decided to try and learn everything that I could about her. So where to start? Well, naturally her birth. On September 14, 1973, which, by the way, was uncommonly quick. Don't take my word for it. Just ask her mother. She was six weeks early, and actually she was fast. <laughs> my husband had started having labor pains, and... He was watching Mod Squad. We get to the hospital, and he was going to leave, and the nurse comes and says, you better stay here. And his joke was, as soon as she was born, he got, went and finished watching Mod Squad. <laughs> that was Brandy's mother, Debbie Rogie, who had no other children of her own. Brandy did have an older half-sister from her father's first marriage. Brandy was born in central Florida, in Brevard County, and the family lived in Melbourne, near the Melbourne Civic Center, until she was nine when they moved out to the rural Bull Creek area, west of Brevard in Osceola County. Her parents wanted Brandy, who was already showing a love for the outdoors, to have a place to grow and really be able to thrive in an environment where she could hike and hunt and fish and do all the things she loved to do. Before we moved out there, I mean, her daddy, he always had her driving everything, little dirt bikes from anything, all in his airboat, and he just started teaching her how to do everything about life, you know, even when she was young, bringing her all the way up. But she, when we moved out there, it's like all this property, and her and the best friend out there, they grew up out there. It was like that was their 
playground. Like, you know, she rode horses. She had this one horse. She taught him how to bow and taught him how to step sideways. And she did horses and then she rode airboats. And her dad showed her how to drive the airboat way before. And so she would go out with him on the airboats all the time. Well, we all did. I mean, we were just a close family. We all loved each other and we all, we just were a close family. Let me help you picture the area where Brandy grew up, Bull Creek. It's very rural and about 30 miles from the Atlantic Ocean, and only about 100 families reside there. Ironically, it's the same place that Detective Sid Liddell spent a lot of time looking for the remains of Ed Smith in the first case that brought him out of retirement. To those who called it home, well, let's just hear what they have to say. According to Brandy's friend, Stacy Jellison, it was pretty much perfect. Bull Creek's amazing. It's 22,000 acres of beautiful woods, and that was our playground out there. We learned how to grow up back there. I'd like to thank my friends over at Investigation at Discovery for letting me use some of their audio clips, including that one of Jellison, and this one, where she describes what her friend Brandy was like as a child. She was more like a boy. She did everything boys did. She drove the airboat. She drove the four-wheelers and three-wheelers, and she fed off that stuff. She loved it. <laughs> she liked being better than the boys. She was a happy girl. She was always the one that had the bright ideas. Brandy's husband, Jeff Hall, agreed that living out in Bull Creek surely shaped who Brandy was to become. She was a true country girl, tomboy. She could outdo things most guys couldn't do. I mean, welding, fishing, hunting, shooting, everything. She, she was like, she's be- she could shoot better than anybody I know. Um, she could weld better than most men I know. She didn't have no brothers, um, just living out in Bull Creek. Her dad just being around guns and shooting out in the country all the time and hunting and being out on the river in the marsh. She was out running airboats when she was a little kid by herself, you know, in St. John's River. It sounds like a dream childhood for a Florida tomboy. But even in the midst of such paradise, horrible things can happen. One in particular nearly killed Brandy when she was only 11 years old. It was an ATV accident that would have a profound effect on the rest of her life. Here I am chatting again with her mother. Her childhood, she had that one traumatic experience. Can you talk about what what happened that day? Yes, she was 11. I had been working that day. And what did you do? A waitress at the time. Anyway, I was working that day, and it was March 30th, 85. And I came home. See, it had just happened. My my husband, her father, told me he was frantic. He went and put her. She was inside, all bloody. And I guess the neighbors. They were riding the four, three-wheeler out in front of our property, and they went down in the ditch, and then it come back, and it just fell right on top of her head and smashed her whole head, smashed it all back in. And at the time, I guess everyone didn't realize them how badly it hurt her. So then we realized he went and put her in the shower just to try to get rid of the blood. And her best friend at the time that we was riding 
around with her. He come running up there telling what happened. He pulled the bike off of her. He was the same age as her, and how he did that, it must adrenaline must have kicked in because he pulled that bike off of her. And so anyway, we hurried and rushed her to the hospital. We thought we were, at the time, you don't think how bad she's hurt. You think you're just going to go to the hospital and come home. And so they were at the hospital, and that's when we learned that all the things that were going to end up happening. They kept her, and then they sent her to Orlando Hospital, I believe it was. And they cut her from ear to ear and pulled her face all the way down and did major surgery. They had her in there, I think it was 11 to 13 hours or whatever it was. They had to restructure all of her bones all in here. Her jaw bones were broke, her nose was broke, her eye was broke. And they said, they said right here, she was a hair from being dead. It was just a hair. So God didn't take her then. That's what I hang on to. And she was in the hospital for a while. We never left her side. And then she had a bunch of surgeries and got better. And she was like this, like almost, well, she was like Brandy, you know. It's like she's just trying to be tough, I guess, you know. <laughs> she didn't hardly let it keep her down. Or she didn't let her keep it down. I know in the hospital, she was hurt as she was hurt. There was a little girl that came in on the other bed, and some people had brought Brandy some stuffed animals, and she gave that little girl one of her stuffed animals because she knew she didn't feel good. So she gave her one of her animals on her own. Nobody told her to. Brandy got to meet actor Pat Morita of Happy Days and The Karate Kid when he spent time with some of the children in the hospital. Brandy kept a scrapbook and clipped out articles about his visit. The accident would leave her face scarred. And that, her friend said, was something that would make Brandy self-conscious forever. The accident also caused her to suffer tremendous headaches for the rest of her life, pain she constantly took non-narcotic medication for. Not having her meds nearby would cause Brandy to panic. Here's her husband, Jeff. When she got older, yes, I think she was self-conscious, but, you know, she was, but not really. Um, but I think, you know, as she got older, she was self-conscious of, of the scars. And, you know, she constantly had migraines. You know, we went all over the state of Florida to try to get treatment in, like, Jackson Memorial Hospital. The, the neurologist sent us down there for some tests one time just to try and to... She had so much scar tissue, and she had a lot of migraine headaches, and she could never really get rid of them. In talking with Jeff a few times, I came away feeling he was a complicated person as well. I mean, there were times when he seemed aloof, like he didn't care. And there were other times when the passion, the anger, the sadness, and heartbreak really came through. As soon as she healed from the accident, Brandy was back hiking, hunting, horseback riding, airboating, and fishing— and doing everything. Well, almost everything. There was still one thing Brandy's parents had a tough time trying to get her to do. Well, she was a tomboy type. I think it was eighth grade graduation. We told her she had to wear a dress for graduation. She didn't want to. So we finally made her agree that she would wear a dress, but she wore her shorts underneath it. (laughs) (laughs) So 
But, you know, she didn't like dresses. Even as she got older, I don't think she had a dress on very often. Not only, in, well, she just wasn't a dress person. Yep, Brandy knew from a young age what she wanted. She loved the outdoors. She loved trucks. And after nearly dying after suffering the ATV accident, Brandy knew what she wanted to do with the rest of her life. Be an EMT and a firefighter. She wanted to save lives. Even while she was in high school, she volunteered at the Hollapaw Fire Department starting in 1990. A year later, Brandy graduated from St. Cloud High School and then started taking fire training classes at Valencia Community College and Indian River Community College. She's always been wanting to help people. And and so you think the accident you know, maybe even inspired yes. her more to become an EMT, paramedic, yes. firefighter? Yes, I believe it did. Yes, it did. She dedicated her life to go and help people. It was while she was volunteering at the Hollapaw Fire Department that she met future husband Jeff Hall, an officer with the Osceola County Fire Department who was on the fast track for big things. Jeff Hall, who joined the fire department reserve team in Orange County when he was only 14, became a full-time St. Cloud firefighter in 1983, and in 10 short years had risen to the rank of fire chief, making $55,000 a year. In 1993, he also became the youngest person in county history to become the head of public safety and was the first person to be both the head of emergency management and fire chief at the same time. Jeff Hall was kind of a big deal and was reaching the pinnacle of his career when he and Brandy met. They started running into each other on emergency calls, and Jeff, well, let's just say he was pretty smitten. Brandy was attractive with short blonde hair that had varied in length over the years. She looked like a tomboy most of the time, solid and strong, and seems happiest in a photo I have of her in her firefighter gear. But she wasn't all tomboy. Brandy liked jewelry, especially gold, and she was certainly proud of her breast implants. One story a former co-worker told was that she'd raise her shirt to show them off. Brandy wasn't a shrinking violet, that's for sure. When I first time met her, um, I was a firefighter paramedic, and she was a volunteer for Osceola County, and she was a volunteer with Holopaw, and we ran calls out in the rural area with Holopaw, and I used to see her on there, so we kind of started liking each other and started dating, but that's when I, I met her on calls, you know, on auto access on 192 or medical calls. Okay, so maybe it wasn't like something from an Audrey Hepburn movie, or even Kate and Leo. But Brandy and Jeff did share a common passion, and that was more than enough to, um, uh, start a fire? Sorry, I couldn't resist. Actually, her desire to fight fires is what drew Jeff to her. She was very compassionate, but she was, my life was the fire department. It seemed like that's what, you know, she was really... Enjoy really into that. So she was really um, into the fire department and to the calls and that type of stuff. So I don't know if that formed a mutual attraction or not. So. Yeah. And they soon discovered they shared a lot of other common interests. It also helped that Jeff was the first man to not make fast food part of Brandy's first date experience. I think we ended up going to like um, Fat Boys Barbecue in St. Cloud for our first date. And... Um, she was kind of shocked because she had never been on a first date other than like Burger King or McDonald's. 
So <laughs> we, used to, we used to, you know, go out to eat, um, go to movies. She wasn't much of a, a city type, you know. So a lot of times we'd go to rodeos and just go airboating and go out on the, on the river and, and stuff like that. But um, she, she wasn't a city type. Good fishing. She loved fishing. You know, we always went offshore fishing, deep sea fishing. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, fishing in the river. But that was most, you know, four-wheeling, mudding. And that's the kind of stuff she, she grew up doing. So. so they got married in 1993 when Jeff was 30 years old and Brandy only 19. Brandy's parents were pleased. They liked Jeff. And everyone seemed to be getting along okay. He seemed real nice. They seemed real happy together. They, you know, that's what, you know, whatever made her happy. We, I mean, we liked him. And... Everything was fine, you know. They were happy together and everything was good. We all got along together real good. Brandy continued her studying and schooling. She took odd jobs welding and even worked for a bit with an airboat manufacturer in Melbourne. She then started working for the St. John's River Water Management District on February 1st, 1993 in aquatic life management, where she would spray shorelines with weed killer in ponds, lakes, and even the river. She was making only $6.56 to start with, but got paid to spend her days in an airboat. And that was not a bad deal, according to Jeff. That's what she loved. She lived on the, lived on the river basically all the time anyway. And after that, she went, to, um, went through the fire standards, got her EMTs, and went to work for Palm Bay Fire Department. He kind of rushed through that, but yes, the bottom line is that she worked hard to make her dream come true. She applied to several fire departments in May of 1994, and was hired in Palm Bay on October 10, 1994, with a salary of $19,311.52. She was now a firefighter. It was a job and a place dominated by men, and that was just fine with Brandy. While waiting around the station for calls to respond to, Brandy was comfortable talking about fishing and hunting, or even participating in some of the adult humor that was pretty rampant. She was basically one of the boys, except that she was eventually given a separate room to sleep in. Brandy was one of only four female firefighters employed by the city at that time. Meanwhile, Brandy was just getting started, and her training never stopped. Brandy's mom remembered how hard her daughter used to work to keep up with all the requirements and testing associated with the job. Even after the couple had their first child, Taylor Lynn, who was born on March 8, 1996. I remember one time when they lived down the road from us, she come riding on the bike. That's when my granddaughter was real little. She had her in the little wagon. She pedaled all the way down. I mean, it had to been like four miles from down there. She rode the bike down with her in the back of the wagon, and then she got her fire gear on for a fireman. And we have a little deck there that had the steps that went up and then up, up onto the porch. She, it was so hot that day, she had all of her fire gear on. She kept going up and down them steps, up and down them steps, practicing. Oh, just getting ready for, wow. For the fire thing or whatever. It's like, yeah. I don't know how she did it. I couldn't have done it. She seemed, like, really determined. She, she's very headstrong. She knows what to, what to do or what she wants or whatever. In 1999, Jeff asked for a demotion from fire chief after two other fire officials were demoted to cut costs in Osceola County. He said he wanted to spend more time with his family. He retired a few years later, while still in his 40s. Meanwhile, 
Brandy's personnel file was filling with accolades and letters praising her for her fine work and for always volunteering for new details, training, and acquiring new skills. She received merit pay raises, as well as the usual scheduled raises. On one of her final evaluations, she scored 346 points out of a possible 350 and was referred to as an excellent employee. It was recommended that she start preparing to take the lieutenant's examination. After Jeff retired, the couple opened a welding and fabrication shop in Melbourne. It wasn't long before the couple had a new circle of friends, a new tight-knit family, a firefighter family that did everything together, from cookouts to children's birthday parties. One thing Brandy and Jeff and their friends all loved doing together was going camping. And who would go? Like how many people would go? Well, you'd have our family. Um, a lot of times my sister and bring my mom or somebody. Um, you'd have the Richmonds. You have Shane and Cindy, which Cindy passed away with cancer. Uh, Shane Cameron and his kids. You have um, Bliss and his family. You have Del um, Nelson and his family. It's just a bunch of families, a bunch of fire, 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 yeah. fire families went. And um, we went all, all state parks all over, you know, where we go fishing and boating and four-wheeling and, and that type of stuff. Remember one of those names Jeff mentioned, the Richmonds, Randall and Anne-Marie. We'll hear more about them later on. For now, all I'll say is that Sid Liddow and his fellow retired detective partner, Doc Jones, spend a lot of time in the course of their investigation thinking and talking about the Richmonds and what their true feelings were. But back to that golden moment in time. Brandy and Jeff seemed to have it all. A second child, a son, was born on May 29, 2001. They also owned a lot of property in the Bull Creek area. Jeff was retired and making nice money on his pension. Life was good. Dream jobs, children, good friends, money and property. So what could possibly go wrong? How about everything? Next time on Murder on the Space Coast, where is Brandy Hall? It just sort of happened, and one thing led to another, and, um, and it got to be kind of exciting, you know, to tell you the truth. And knowing it's wrong, but kind of exciting. We was figuring stuff out. It was stupid. It was very, very stupid, especially for somebody with my background, you know. It's, that's what really floored a lot of people. Oh, it's more than devastating. I mean, um, we didn't know anything about it. My, um, I was on my way home, and I always call my husband and tell him I'm on my way home. And he was watching the news, and he told me, he says, you're not going to believe what just came on the TV. If you have any information as to Brandy Hall's whereabouts, please call 1-800-423-TIPS. That's 1-800-423-8477. Calls are anonymous and are not recorded. To subscribe to Florida Today, please visit floridatoday.com forward slash WMO. For now, I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And for more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to whereisbrandyhall.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thank you for listening to Murder on the Space Coast, 
brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.